Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We're recording on a Monday, so you know what that means. That means Tyler Rucker, a.k.a. Backcourt V, is joining us from... We can finally say it on a podcast, man. We can yeah, finally man. say no ceilings. No ceilings, baby. The news is officially out, so I'm, I'm excited for that project uh, for all those that don't know yet, but... Gosh, what a year it's going to be. It's going to be a grind, but it is going to be a fun year. It's going to be a great year. I guess I, I from here on out, I have to modify the intro to also include part of the No Ceilings Podcast Network. Yeah, we, there we, you go. It's official we, now. It's official. We shared that link tree today. You can find all of our podcasts on that link tree. You'll see it on virtually all of our Twitters on social media. Um, link L-I-N-K-T-R dot E slash no Ceilings NBA. You can find all of our shows there. My show, you can find Tyler's show, the Backward Violation Podcast, Corey and Albert's show, the Draft Act, as well as NBA Deep Dives with Nick and then Tyler Metcalf as well. So definitely go and check out all of those podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. We are ready for a whirlwind of draft content all year long, as well as some timely NBA content. So tonight we want to focus in on some of the top returning prospects in the 2022 NBA draft class. The name that we already teased that we were going to talk about tonight, our first guy on the list would be Jaden Ivey, the Purdue guard. Now, by the time you guys are seeing this podcast, first of all, if you haven't read our ACC conference preview, our first piece on the no ceiling Substack, definitely go on social media, get subscribed to that newsletter and check out our first piece. But by the time you're listening to this, you will have already seen our Big Ten conference preview as well. And we have a question in there specifically about who is our top prospect for the Big Ten in the 2022 NBA draft class. And I know that, Tyler, you and I talked about Caleb Houston already out of Michigan in one of our freshman preview pods. But Jaden Ivey is my top guy out of the Big Ten. I actually think that Ivey is a better prospect than Caleb Houston. And really, it's in a lot of his creation ability. So, um, a lot of his efficiencies in terms of his shot making and his shooting can come up across the board this year. Hopefully they will in his second season, but he was in the 89th percentile scoring out of pick and roll last year and in the 87th percentile in terms of pick and rolls, including passes. So not only is he a scorer out of those play types, he's also a pretty decent passer and playmaker as well, which to me was really intriguing to see when you go back and watch a lot of the tape, but he is a capable shot maker from different spots all over the floor. Um, I, I don't see anything wrong mechanically with his jump shot. I think a lot of his mechanics look good. He's definitely a willing shot taker. And he's one of those guys, man, if, if he becomes a more aware defender, not that he isn't competitive and engaged already, I actually like how low he sits in his stance. He plays low on guys individually one-on-one, -on -one. but if he just becomes a little more aware of, when the guys go into a certain hesitation move, when he's pulling up for a jump shot, I think he could be a really good defender in the NBA. He's built well physically, 6'4", 200 pounds. I love a lot of the stuff that he's bringing to the table. And shout out to, to Simon Rath, Hawks drafter. He was the biggest guy last year beating the drum for Jaden Ivey if he would have come out in the 2021 NBA draft. He's a guy I could really see him being almost a lock right now for a top 10 pick. And he's one of he's probably my best bet out of the returning guys. If there would be somebody who can knock out one of those top freshmen in the top five, I think Jay Ivey would be my best bet to do so. What do you think about his game, Tyler? What's kind of your read on Ivey coming into the season? Yeah, I, I think he's going to be one of the hot names. I think it's always a bad, not a bad, you know, 
view of returning. I think some people look down upon that, but I'm really excited to see Ivy this year. I think, you know, you look at his sample, the numbers don't jump at you right away if you're looking at his entire season. You know, 11.1 points per game, 3.3 rebounds, just under 40% from the field, 25% from three. Like, those aren't great. Those aren't going to get you excited. But, you know, in the spirit of draft deeper, I did a little homework. I went, went deep in the numbers. So the thing about Ivy that's crazy, his first 13 games, he was just all over the place. You know, yep. it's 7.5 points per game, 2.7 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 36% from the field, 20% from three. Like, that's ugly. You would be mm-hmm. like, why are we hyping up this guy? But confidence starts to kick in the second half of the season. His last 10 games, he's averaging 15.8 points per game, yep. 4.1 rebounds, 2.2 assists, 42% from the field, and right around 30% from three. So, the scoring upside and the tools are fascinating. He was just one of those guys that was starting to come into his own, and you can see the confidence building. I definitely think, you know, we mentioned Houston on a previous episode. I think Ivy definitely could be up there as one of the best prospects in the Big Ten. I'm intrigued. I think there's a real chance, like you're saying, he could take a huge leap, and I think it's going to start with the outside shot if it can come, like, consistently. Because like you said, the mechanics are nice. You know, like everything's yep. pretty smooth and it's not like all over the place. So you could see a big jump in like the percentages from downtown this year. It wouldn't surprise me. But if he can do that, yeah, he could definitely be a top 10 guard just because of his ability to score. And he's explosive. I, I'm a fan. I'm really excited to watch him this year. And like you said, we got to give a shout out to Simon because he's kind of been pushing that that, that train forward for a lot of people. And it, it's, it's well-deserved. He's going to be really fun to watch this year. I think it's really just about when, you, when we evaluate guards for the NBA today, we want, if they're not a traditional point guard, if they are playing off the ball, you at least want to be able to slot them in as a secondary playmaker. You're looking for more of a combo type guard, right? And the fact that Ivy has already taken steps to improve his playmaking out of pick and roll situations, like I said, if he becomes a more willing passer outside of pick and roll sets, that's really where I think you see a lot of value, where I think you could continue to grow his offensive game because it become, becomes such a threat to move the ball at all times. Eventually, defenses are going to become a little perplexed. They're going to play off him a little bit. That's going to open up his driving lanes even more where he's already proven he's a good finisher around the basket. And maybe that opens some things up for his mid-range shot making as well. We'll see how far along the catch-and-shoot jumper can become because the the playmaking, the passing outside of pick-and-roll to me is really what's going to set him apart between being like your Lugens Dort type of prospect to come into the NBA, maybe not as good of a defender, but one of those physical guards who likes to get up in you and can play on both ends of the floor versus being more of a, a higher ceiling combo guard. I don't know if a specific name comes to you uh, when you're, when you're looking at Jaden Ivy, I don't have the cleanest comp for him quite yet, but he's just one of those guys that I just feel really comfortable about betting on taking the leap. Like you said, are there any real drawbacks you see besides the, the outside shooting consistency, anything else that really puts a red flag in your mind? You know, not, not right now. I think it's just a, this is the dream type of prospect you want in a returner. Like this is a guy that could explode. He could take such a big leap forward. Like all the tools are there. He's an intriguing playmaking, like offensive threat. Now, yep. 
we just need the outside shot to be at a higher percentage. We need it to be more efficient, come around. And if he takes that leap, then quickly scouts are going to start checking boxes. Like, okay, we got something here. And I think it's also intriguing. He's not just great offensively. He's really disruptive defensively. And I, I'm like, you're saying, I don't know if I'm not calling him an elite defender, but he can get after it. So let's see what he can do with another year under his belt. He should walk in with a little bit of swagger knowing like, okay, this is my time to take the next step, take a big leap and show the college basketball world what I can do. And hopefully that, you know, solidifies him as a potential top 10 selection next year. Is there any chance he has, and he's a year younger than when this would have happened, but is there any chance he has the Victor Oladipo type breakout where all of a sudden we look back and we go, holy shit, this guy's a legitimate star in this draft, not necessarily just like a high-end role player or somebody who's like a third option on a team? I, I think there is, you know, and that's what I was saying about those numbers earlier. You could tell, like, jumping from seven points per game to 15 is a huge leap throughout your last yep. season. Now, and now if you can hit the gas pedal right out of the gate and be averaging around 15 or 16 a game, I mean, we're talking about a whole new type of player, a whole new weapon. And, you know, those numbers jump in a hurry. And all of a sudden, scouts, if they see his games developing quickly, mm-hmm. I mean, they could just be drooling and he could skyrocket up boards. So I, I think there's definitely potential, you know, playing in that conference. There's going to be a lot of big opponents you know, big spotlight games where if he puts on a show, people are going to pay attention to that. People are going to be circling those games of like, okay, hey, Jaden Ivey against Michigan went nuts. Well, that's against Michigan with some serious talent. So I think there's definitely potential for him to just explode. And it's going to be fun to watch him closely throughout the year. Exactly. And we've seen it happen plenty of times in the past. Some of these freshmen come in and they underwhelm in their first campaigns. And if that's the case and Ivy does take a massive leap, that's an easy way for, for him to leapfrog some of those other uh, top freshmen. So we'll have to pay very close attention to Jane Ivy. I'm very excited to watch him this year. I can't wait to break down some of the second year tape, a guy who I definitely wanted to cover in this podcast and move to you and I are kind of in agreement. We were talking before the podcast. We're not as enthused. Um, by Benedict Matherin, the the wing out of Arizona, technically more of a shooting guard, 6'6", 210 pounds. Last year, almost 11 points per game, almost five rebounds and assists. The shooting numbers were good, right? 47% from the field, almost 42% from three, almost 85% from the free throw line. Those are some legitimate splits, 20.1 PER, 62.5 true shooting percentage for a freshman guard. Like, that's really impressive. And yeah. I, I buy everything in the jumper. I think the jump shot is legitimate. He has it for a, definitely from three-point range. When he is able to pull up cleanly inside the arc, I think he gets it off really well. It's a nice nice touch on the shot. He can finish around the basket. He rated out in the 99th percentile on cuts, 63rd percentile on transition, which is awesome. Those are two really easy play types for him to get involved, not just in college, but when he gets to the NBA. Really easy ways for him to rack up points. And he was in the 92nd percentile on catch and shoot jumpers. Now, where he does struggle, he was only in the 48th percentile on jump shots off the dribble. So he's a talented shooter from range and a capable finisher on the basket, like I said, but he's not a creator type, though, by any means. Like he doesn't have the handle or the wiggle to really create separation and unlock any sort of pull up game at this current moment that, like I said, he may very well have it. 
because I've seen clips of him where he does look pretty smooth off of, you know, one to two dribble pull up. But right now that that's not in his bag on a consistent basis. And one thing, Tyler, that I want to know before I'll let you jump in, I've seen this enough is that generally wings just, they don't just morph into high level creators. Once they get to the NBA, you, you really either have that in your game naturally or generally you don't. And I think a lot of people are projecting Mather because he was so young already last year and because he'll still be on the young side for a sophomore this year, they're just going to give him that room to grow. Like this is the level of expectations we can have from him. Maybe if we see some of it this year and then it's like all of a sudden going to click in the NBA when he's like a rookie or a sophomore. And I'm, I'm not buying that that's definitely going to happen for Mather. At least I haven't seen enough evidence of that happening. So I'm likely to buy in on his floor. I would have bought into his floor last year if he would have come into the draft. Some people projected him as like this top 15, top 20 guy last year. I wouldn't have gone that far. I would have been comfortable taking him late in the first round, and I would expect his stock to see a jump this year. But I don't know if it's going to take a serious jump as some others are projecting. What are some of your initial thoughts on Matherin, Tyler? Yeah, I think Matherin's becoming this interesting guy because, you know, he's going to be right down the road for me, so I'm going to watch plenty of him this year. I'm, I'm going to be – zeroing in on him because i'm just fascinated um with his potential he's one of the you know there's always this phrase boom or bust if you're gonna have a boom or bust season i don't know if it's boom or bust with him i think you you said the right word i think there's a floor where we kind of know what type of player he's gonna be mm -hmm. we just want to see if he could kind of shock us or surprise us and take a huge step you know because yeah. That's the big thing with guys returning. Like all these guys that are coming back for another year, there's a reason they're coming back. It's potentially to improve one aspect of their game. And I think with Matherin, we know he's a good shooter. We know he's got some intriguing size on the wings. Solid shot, very smooth. Good numbers, good percentages. You know, I just want to see, can he become more of a threat like all over the place? Like, can he yeah. unlock some offensive versatility, like putting it on the floor, creating more? I think that if he could showcase that, then we might be talking like, okay, maybe he's climbing a little bit, but I think he's probably going to be a solid, you know, middle first round guy, maybe late lottery if he has a solid year. And, you know, that's not saying anything bad. It's just, I don't know. I want to be wrong. I want him to shock us and just be like, I think we whoa. both want to be wrong. Yeah. yeah. I want to be like, whoa, okay, there's something special there. He's now averaging 18 a game in the Pac 12. I'd be like, dang, okay. And he could shoot. Let's go. But unlike you, I think the floor is more of a little bit of a safe spot where we're like, okay, we might know what he is, which is a complimentary piece that can shoot it with a good form. But I will be intrigued to see if maybe he has some flashes of like, okay, there's some untapped versatility. Like maybe he has some handles. It just needs to rise to the surface a little bit longer or slower. You know what I'm trying to say? But I'm intrigued. I'm just not all in yet, if that makes sense. So I don't know. What are you? Are you leaning one way? Are you getting cold? Or are you nervous or what? So the the problem with Matherin is that. He's just seems like one of those guys where if you put too much responsibility in his hands, it doesn't mm -hmm. quite all come together. Yes. Like he, he's one of those wings. If you put him in a position where he only has one decision to make, whether that's go to the basket or immediately shoot it or, you know, fill the lane transition, like he can look awesome. And he has plenty of YouTube highlight packages where if you just booted something up on YouTube and you weren't watching a few full games, you look at this guy and you say, 
why isn't he like a potential top 10 prospect in the NBA mm-hmm. draft? Like, what are mm-hmm. we missing? But then when you go back and watch everything else on the tape, if you get him put in positions where he's driving and all of a sudden the lane's sealed off and he has to get rid of the ball, like he's not always timing those passes very well. He's not always making good decisions with where he lets that pass go. Like, he'll dump it off to a big man who doesn't even have anywhere else to go in the post. And and from there, that play can become a turnover or it's just not an efficient basket. Like those are the little types of things that I think you're more so talking about. Like there's two different ways we can frame creator. It can be some guy who's always shaking somebody off the bounce to create a shot for himself, like a Jason Tatum or a Luka Doncic, or it's also just making the simple right reads within a play when something breaks down and you can't go to your initial decision. Matherin doesn't strike me as a guy who can really do either. So like, I know the upsides there. If I had to project right now, what tier I would put him in, like gun in my head, I'd probably have him as a tier three guy, but I'm really back and forth on the fence for him being a tier four guy, which for me, that's the category of like a sixth man, or like the last guy in your starting lineup or like a spot starter or a specialist. Like I could really see him sliding in as like the last guy in a starting lineup being a shooting specialist. If you bring some to the table defensively, like that's fine. That only gets him some more minutes, but like, I don't know how much of an offensive option he's worthy of being right now. So I, I, I'm really on the fence with him. If, if you had to classify what you think his role is in the NBA, not like, immediately in his rookie season but if you projected in like year two year three in the nba like what would you be willing to bet will his role be when he gets to that point in his career from what you've seen right now i understand we're we're very early it's preseason but like what's your bet right there i i think he's just gonna be a really nice complimentary piece i don't know right now if you're gonna ever say Here's the ball. Go get go get us a bucket. I think it's yep. gonna be one of those like, hey, we got a really nice complimentary asset on this roster. Like we got a nice piece to the puzzle, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. And the buzz I've been hearing from their early practices at U of A is like people are like, hey, he looks like a lottery guy. He looks like a potential solid lottery guy. And when people are saying that, they're usually leaning towards the end of the lottery. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just. We might know what he's going to be. It's just this good player that can shoot it from outside, but you're, he's not going to all of a sudden become Jalen Brown, you know? And I'm just saying, like, there's nothing wrong with being one of those middle-of-the-pack guys because if you fall to the right team and they could put you as the fourth or fifth option in their offense at one point, they have a great piece. And that's the type of player that those teams want, you know, when you're getting towards the potential playoff teams that are looking to add something to take the next step forward. Yeah. Matherin could be an absolutely fantastic asset, but you know, it's early. Like you said, he could surprise us this year and unlock a lot of aspects of his game. And we could be talking like, okay, he might be sneaking up a little bit and maybe some team around top 10 falls in love with them. Who knows? But yeah, I, I think right now I'm probably saying he's just a really nice complimentary piece for a team to kind of push the push the train forward, if you want to put it that way. It seems like the high end for me, and I said this to you before we hopped on the podcast, it'd be like what Andrew Wiggins is right now mm-hmm. for Golden State, which comes back to everything I said about him being one of those guys where if he only has one decision to make, he can look really good doing it. That's really what you've seen from Wiggins in Golden State, they've simplified so much for him. Very rarely do they ask him to step up like 
they handle the ball late in the shot clock and ask him to go get his own bucket. Like that's just not really who they've asked him to be unless he's like the sole shot creator on like a second unit, like a backup unit. Like that's yeah. pretty much the only time they've asked him to do that. If he's, if he's with the starters, they're usually running him off some kind of action or he's staying in the corner. He's, he's trying his best to, to space the floor for that team. And I think Matherin could definitely be a better floor spacer for sure than Andrew Wiggins, but everything else when we're talking about shot making offensively that's that's the type of player i envision him being is that a late lottery type guy it very well could be i i that that's probably a safe projection if that's really what he turns out to be but i just don't know if he's one of those prospects for me that i would be comfortable drafting in the top 10 when we have so many other intriguing options when we throw in obviously other returning players like Jay Ivey, for example, when we dissect a lot of the freshmen that we have coming in, maybe some international guys come around and, and maybe they take a leap. Who knows? But mm-hmm. right now I think high end for me with Matherin would be late lottery. And I'd probably feel much safer right now projecting him like back end of the middle of the first round, like, like safely inside the top 20, like maybe like 17 to 20 range. What do you mm-hmm. think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no. I, I think, there's no problem around that. I think definitely top 20 guy. And, you know, it's important to point out with these guys that were, you know, he wasn't asked to be the offensive creator last year. He was a nice little secondary scorer. Now he's going to get a bigger load. And that could either unlock a big part of his game or the numbers could suffer. You know, all of a sudden now you're getting way more shot attempts. You're being asked to carry the load offensively. And yeah, the points per game could go up, but we could also see his percentages drop. So it's always an intriguing battle. We're going to find out in a hurry, you know, what type of player he can be with an extended role. So I think top 20 is probably safe right now to say for him. And, you know, if he's having a solid year, he could trickle the way up the boards. We don't know, but he's definitely going to be a fun one to watch, especially with Arizona and the Pac-12. This next guy, I'm... I'm super intrigued to see where he ultimately gets drafted is Mark Williams, the mm-hmm. big man, seven yes. feet, 242 pounds. Really, it was his last six games of the year where he really came on. He was averaging 16.6 points per game and 7.8 rebounds over that span with 1.6 blocks. Like those are some pretty monster stat lines that he put up. I think is his last game of the tournament was like 23 points, 19 rebounds, yes. something along those lines. It was, it was an abs- absolute monster game, and it looked like had, had that COVID issue not happened with Duke men's basketball staff, they were really looking like they were going to win that ACC tournament and, and find a way to squeak into the big dance. That would have been absolutely awesome to see. But he's another one of these guys, hyper, hyper elite finisher around the basket, 95th percentile in terms of total offense. 95th percentile on cuts and in transition, 78th percentile on post-ups, 94th percentile finishing around the basket. So we know what his bread and butter is. He's just one of those guys. doesn't matter if he, he's acting as a lob threat, if he's acting as a, a finishing threat out of pick and roll sets, if he's the main guy cutting, or if he's running in transition, acting as a rim runner. That's the type of big man that he is. And if he flashes, not only more of the rim protection that he did later in the season, but he's also just a more attentive defender in general, I think a lot of the, he, he really didn't come on defensively until like those last six or seven games, you go back and you look at the season as a whole, a lot of the synergy numbers don't bear out well for him when he's defending away from the basket, when he's defending in space, when he's contesting jump shots, he was really late 
to defending a lot of those, I think because his awareness just wasn't at a point, as well as his confidence. Um, he was really in and out of the lineup for a while. It took Jalen Johnson leaving the team for Mark Williams to actually have a home in that starting lineup and for that team to really embrace him and trust him more on both ends of the floor. So this is going to be a really interesting sophomore campaign for him. Even if he breaks out, this is the type of big man that we just see NBA teams continuing to not invest in or not wanting to invest major capital in. And when we talk about somebody like Mark Williams, who could have the statistical profile and season as like a top 10 type draft pick, I don't think there's much of a chance he actually goes top 10. I think that his best case scenario for him, probably inside of the top 20, but for different reasons than somebody like a Benedict Matherin. Like Matherin, we can point to the upside, him being a wing, playing a more prominent position. Mark Williams just playing a position where like my high-end comparison for him would be somebody like a Robert Williams who is like finally flourishing with the Boston Celtics. I think they're similar players in different ways. And I think Mark Williams can even solidify that comparison even more if the if the scoring numbers stay up to where they were through that six, seven game stretch last year, the end of the year. But if that's like a high-end comp for him, I don't know how much NBA teams are really going to favor that type of player. And if they're going to want to draft someone like that in the late lottery, despite his physical build, despite his athletic profile, despite everything for sure that he can bring to the table that you know is going to translate to the NBA. Maybe it's not so a question, Tyler, of what are your initial thoughts about Mark Williams as much as what are your initial thoughts on his draft stock today? And how do you think that that's going to change over time, over the course of the year? Even, even if you see what you want to see from him development wise, how do you think it's going to change? I feel like he's probably, you know, and I, and like we say, we we're going early, you know, I need to watch a lot more of him. but as my quick thoughts were probably end of the first round guy, just that needs this specific fit with a team kind of looking for what he brings to the game, the specific skill sets. And he's a big boy, you know, he's, he's seven foot two forty five, but he just looks like a giant out there. And, you know, you kind of hit it on an early, it's amazing to look at his kind of splits throughout the year. You know, you, you look at his averages, he averaged, he ended up averaging seven, four and basically 1.5 blocks a game in 15 minutes, which is just like, what? A and 30.2 then, PER and exactly, almost a 65 true shooting percentage. It's just, it's, and it's amazing because like the last six games you brought up, he just went on a tear because Duke finally just said, all right, enough's enough. Let's just unleash this monster. But his first 17 games, he was 3-3, three, 1.3 three, blocks in 10 minutes, which 1.3 blocks is just amazing in 10 minutes. But then they finally just let the wheels go crazy, and he just went nuts, including the game you're talking about against Louisville, where he had 23 and 19. So I'm intrigued with like the upside because I want to see some consistency and you know returning with some more building confidence, and Duke's going to have a pretty nasty squad this year. Yeah, I want to see what can happen. I'm not really buying he climbs up into the lottery. I don't really think the amount of tools he has to his game from what I've seen so far are there. And I could I could eventually be wrong, but he seems more of like a, if a team's looking for a potential solid rebounder down low who can make an impact, maybe they target him as kind of a late 
first round guy. You know, we we just saw this year like Dayron Sharp got drafted late in the first. I think it was late in the first, right? With the yeah. Brooklyn Nets. So, and he was kind of one of those raw, big, strong presence inside that could kind of get after it on the glass. So maybe that's where Mark Williams is trending towards. You know, numbers don't lie. If you could be productive right out of the gate and put up some big numbers, yeah, teams are going to be intrigued. But he just seems like one of those guys that's going to need a specific fit for his draft stock to maybe climb, depending on you know where teams end up in so, the order. So what if the what if some of those defensive concerns do get wiped away? What if he does prove to be one of those athletic mobile big men who can switch on to somebody out of pick and roll and doesn't get completely lost? They can actually guard the man in front of him, similar to what we've seen from DeAndre Aiden. That's a reason why Aiden's proven to be so yeah. valuable for the Phoenix Suns. He's been one of those guys who can switch on the perimeter and just not die on an island. He can be yep. so versatile in who he covers one on one. Like, what if that does happen? Like. It, it, it's a different conversation yeah. yeah i mean i didn't mean to interrupt you but it's a whole new world now i mean now it's now it's you know i've said it before nba teams are always going to be drooling over the bigs with size and if they can defend multiple z- positions especially in the modern nba yes someone's going to be a fan like someone's going to be like hey guys this this guy can make a huge impact for our team for we can bring him along slowly, be a nice rotation asset. He's going to help us on the boards and defensively. Definitely he could get, you know, climbing up in a hurry. I'm just saying right now, he's probably going to need a team that's like, man, we really need a big that has some versatility that we don't need him to score offensively a ton. We just need him to clean it up, the dirty work and, you know, be a factor inside the paint on both sides of the ball. Like that could be Mark Williams' best like path towards climbing up some boards it's the best path i think for for any big man exactly it's you need to prove a certain level of competency on the defensive end when it comes to defending away from the basket Mm -hmm. so let's move to another name who i would consider to be a pretty big name on this list i know he has a brother in the NBA who seems to be in the news for all the wrong reasons. Hopefully it's a little different for Marcus Bagley once he gets to the NBA, the Arizona State wing slash forward, 6'8", 215 pounds. Had a decent year last year when he was healthy. He wasn't healthy for the entire year, but when he did play, almost 11 points per game, six rebounds a game. Not the best shooting from the field, 38.7%. He did shoot at almost 35% from three. Rated out 74th percentile in terms of total offense, 93rd percentile in terms of total defense. And really his bread and butter was his scoring, his shooting ability away from the basket, 85th percentile off screens, 75th percentile on spot up looks, um, 75th percentile on jumpers, 72nd percentile on catch and shoot shots. And then he finished adequately around the basket for someone his size, rating out in the 79th percentile. This is a guy similar to the concerns we have about Matherin and Ivy is really what do they do in between the basket and the three-point line? And he was only in the 24th percentile on jump shots off the dribble. He came out of the gates as one of the more intriguing wing prospects because of his, his movement shooting ability or his ability to kind of stop and pop on different spot-up looks from a variety of areas of the floor. But his lack of a mid-range game really hurt his shooting numbers overall. He doesn't have a good pull-up game. He doesn't create his own shot with ease. If he can be a much more efficient shooter off one or two dribbles and he can show any more semblance of self-creation and or 
be better and more aware transition wise, I think he becomes more than a late first, early second round flyer because of his projectable defensive floor. But if he doesn't, I think NBA teams are going to look and say, yeah, he's size, he has size, he can shoot from three point range, but like, what else does this guy do? He's not a willing passer. He doesn't necessarily have great vision on the move. Like, is he just going to be this guy that gets caught in no man's land all the time and forces a bad shot up or he turns it over when he's not able to catch and shoot with enough space to get a shot off? Um, I, w- I wouldn't call his mechanics quick. I wouldn't call them slow either. They're kind of like right in the middle. He does need just a tad bit of time to get his shot off. Um, I like what he brings to the table defensively. I like that he can shoot the ball in different situations, but Tyler, if he doesn't improve some of that shot making in between the basket and the three point line, where would you be comfortable taking him in the draft next year off of everything we saw last year and heading into the season? You know, there was, there's always guys that just give me nightmares that I just, I can't figure out. Oh, this is, this is starting off really well. Yeah. I just can't (laughs) figure out. Um, I just can't get a grasp of him. Like, I, and I don't know why, but it, he, Mark, Marcus Bagley was just that guy for me in the last year's draft cycle. I just, every game I watched him, I was like, yeah, I, I get it. But I was just, I couldn't like jump in. I was just like, eh, I get it. I can't fall in love with it. I get the idea. I know we're all getting excited about the idea of Marcus Bagley, but then you go back and you look at the numbers and you're like, well, the percentages are not what I want. The shot selection's a little all over. I'm just like, okay. And then he jumps out of the draft. He comes back. I'm like, okay, fine. We all thought he was going to maybe transfer from ASU. Then he says he's staying. I was like, okay. Like, okay. all right. Well, he, well he's going to be the guy at ASU. I was like, you're the guy now. So let's see. So what I'm saying is I'm most excited to watch him because he gave me a nightmare last year and now I can see like, okay, well, like, can you convince me I'm wrong? And I'm like you it, last year. I was like, okay, he seems like an intriguing roll of the dice, like early second round. Maybe someone's in love takes him at the end of the first guy. And I think if he could take a next step, I could definitely see him as like a late first, maybe climbs a little bit guy. Cause he's six, eight, he's two fifteen. The shot, like you said, it's not slow. It's not super fast. It's right there in the middle. It could improve. I just want to see like some more consistency because I love the idea of him. He's tough. He he seems like he's a willing defender. It's just there's some like his shot. Sometimes he ha- he's got like a little lower body twist. There's like some inconsistencies. He kind of does a little bit of everything where you're like, okay, what's your sh- what's your foundation? Are you compact or are you all over the place he just seems like he needs some fine tuning so he's not one of those swiss shot makers either that we've yeah. talked about with other guys like it's, it always seems like it's clanking around the rim and that comes back to his natural touch as well like when he's trying to to hit some of those little little bunny shots or those floaters like away mm-hmm. from the basket like there just isn't a lot of natural touch on those shots and that really in- inhibits him as well like to, to to your credit tyler like when you say the word nightmares like it, it's 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 actually a pretty good term to use because 
I know that I don't always love projecting guys years down the road in their NBA careers when we're talking about preseason before we're coming into the next year that we can watch those guys, but we had to evaluate him for 2021 because he, a lot of people thought that he was just going to declare and he wanted to be a pro like his brother. I, I was actually really shocked when he ended up staying. Maybe I was he too. Does, maybe yeah. he wants to show a little more because he didn't have a full campaign because of the the, the consistent injury trouble, but like I, I was projecting him out. I couldn't bring myself to, to put him any higher than like a tier four type guy. And if I'm putting him in tier four, I would be putting him in there as a specialist. And if I'm projecting someone as a shooting specialist, when they're only shooting like under 35%, so below average from three point range, what are we talking about? Like exactly. if I'm an NBA team four years down the road, he's looking for another contract. That would give me nightmares. If he's only, maybe he's improved slightly maybe he's only like a 36 percent three-point shooter and none of the other stuff came through inside the arc like do i really want to pay this guy in a second contract what's the type of money that i want to pay him versus what him and his agent are going to be looking for like yeah that that would give me nightmares yeah and you know it was it's funny it was when you watched arizona state last year and it's a lot more comfortable having that conversation as like an early second round pick or even like a first rounder versus like if we have to have this conversation and you were a top 20 pick where yes. you are going to be expecting more salary off the bat. I think it, what I was trying to say is last year was funny because his teammate, Josh Christopher was one of the same guys where it was like, he thought he was a microwave guy. He didn't have great shooting percentages, but when I watched Christopher, I was like, okay, I think the, the shot selection will be better because he's obviously trying to carry the load for Arizona state. So I was like, I, I feel like when he goes to the next level, the shot selection will come around because he won't have to be jacking up all these shots. But then when I watched Bagley, I was like, I, I just don't know. I was like, it, it, I feel like exactly what you said. I'm wanting him to be a shooting specialist, but then he shot 34% from three. So I'm like, how is he a shooting specialist? Then? <laughs> like, I'm like, I just couldn't wrap my head around him. And I... I want him to take a leap so I could at least be like, okay, I was wrong. There's something there. There's an asset and a rotation that can give you some buckets and make an impact defensively. But I'm just going to be watching him curious because I'm like, I still can't sleep good at night because I couldn't figure him out. I was just like, am I getting drunk on the idea of what he could be? Or am I ignoring what he is right now with the hope of him developing his talent and i think that's the battle where we always have you know as evaluators we always have these tough guys we can't really pin we can't pencil down and then you know we might even reach out to friends that do it and be like hey what do you think of him i can't you know and it's just was one I of those guys all, i did it all of last year i yeah. talked to so many different people it was like what do you think about him and nobody came to a really firm conclusion about what they thought he was going to be in the NBA. So mm-hmm. I, I, I it's, agree. It, it seems like everyone was the same way with him, which was so fascinating. It was, it seemed like you would find some people that were like really high on him and you could find some people that were really low on him. And there was just everyone in between. It was like, no one had like a, this is my guy. And you're like, yeah, okay. What's, why is he your guy? Tell us, please. We all want to know. So, um, I'm excited he's returning because I want to watch him more. I want to see if what I thought before is wrong or if he's going to show me a completely different player that's more effective, more efficient. I don't know. I, I, 
when you told me we were going to talk about Marcus Bagley, I was like, thank you. So, cause I need to talk to someone about this. Yeah. So, well, well I, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. Cause I don't think I really helped you out. You'll be spinning circles now. I'm just going to be circling his name, like writing it down every day. Well, good news is you'll, you'll get to see plenty of him this year yes. as well. So, yes. he, and, and, and we touched on it. He's going to be the guy at Arizona State. He's going to be put in plenty of those situations where he likes it or not, where it's going to be late in the shot clock and he has to do something with the basketball. So, mm-hmm. listen, we'll have perfect evidence this year. If he's healthy yeah. and if he, if he makes those shots, great. If he doesn't, then he's going to be projected the same as he was last year for, for mm-hmm. better or worse. Now, I wanted to talk about this guy. Oh, man, right? I want to so bad. I can't right, even explain it. <laughs> right after Marcus Bagley, because it's like, it's like a tale of two wings. Or a tale, of two, I guess, tale, tale of two forwards, I should say. Whereas Marcus Bagley is a capable shot maker, mm-hmm. but more of a hesitant one. This guy literally <laughs> doesn't give a shit. This would be Matthew Meyer. The Baylor forward, 6'9", 225 pounds on the older side. He'll be a senior this year. So he doesn't have the age benefit of somebody like Marcus Bagley. But this kid, this MFR is an absolute frame flamethrower shooting from the perimeter. Every jump shot in the book from every angle, 76 percentile in terms of total offense, 88th percentile scoring out of pick and roll sets, which was fascinating to me. 85th percentile in pick and rolls, including passes. Um, 60th percentile in cuts, 59th percentile in spot-ups, 83rd percentile on jump shots, 90th percentile finishing around the basket, 85th percentile on catch-and-shoot looks, 79th percentile shooting off the dribble. If this guy wants to take a shot, he's going to take it. The, the b- bottom line, fearless gunner can mm-hmm. also be combined with selfish shot-taker. He can definitely rush shots at times, and he isn't afraid to let it fly with plenty of time left on the shot clock despite what the defense is throwing at him. At least, I wrote this down, for, for an irrational confidence guy, at least he has sides to the point where he can at least get the shot off, right? He's not like you're, you're Marcus Howard, like five foot ten at on, on your good day point guard who just wants to shoot it from all over the place and sometimes is going to force things on the move where defense is just caving in on him and he doesn't even have anywhere to go to try and pass out of it. Like he kind of just has to put the shot up. And it's going to get blocked. Meyer at least has size to the point where you're not concerned, even if somebody's coming over and contesting the shot, at least he's going to get it off. And maybe it goes in, maybe it doesn't. So like, I don't know how much of a positive I consider that, but it, it, it's a positive nonetheless. Surprisingly adept playmaker when someone comes and sets a screen for him to do so. I mentioned some of the pick and roll numbers that really stuck out to me. Like if he's in isolation and has one man to beat, He's going to shoot that ball, no questions asked. But if you put him in a position to where he has that second or two to kind of read his surroundings, survey his landscape, and and make a play for somebody else, he can do it. And really in the same way for his defense. Like, he wasn't a very engaged defender in every game, but when he did buy in, like in the Big 12 and NCAA tournaments, man, that guy was effective on the Mm -hmm. defensive end. He got after it. He made plays on the defensive end. He guarded people one-on-one and in some very small cases he did have some shutdown moments and he was a pretty good help defender coming over from the weak side and protecting the rim with his size and his length so like 
he has a role in the NBA as a streaky bench scorer, regardless of any potential improvement this year, right? Like I think you and I could probably agree on a surface level. He has a home of some kind in the NBA, but if his efficiency improves, if he becomes a more willing passer outside of pick and roll, and he keeps the defensive intensity over the course of the entire season, I wouldn't be shocked to see him go top 20 in, in the 2022 draft. And like, this is the guy I would much rather, it, it's crazy that I'm saying this, but I would much rather buy stock in him over Bagley, even though Bagley gives me so many more things defensively on a game to game basis than I like more than what Myers given me. But maybe, maybe if Myers asked to do more on the offensive end, if he's given, even more responsibility put on his plate. Maybe that's like some weird thing that goes off in his head. Like, all right, maybe I'll contribute on the defensive end as well. Like I'm kind of giving everything that I want at this point. And we had to learn the unfortunate news today about Langston Love being out for this season. Like I already thought it was going to be a heavy dose of Adam Flagler, Langston Love, and then Matthew Meyer. Now it seems like it's going to be a heavy dose of just Flagler and Meyer. So Mm -hmm. like, this guy has a real opportunity to, if he buys in heavily on both ends of the floor, he could take a massive jump in this year's draft. I already know he has a big fan of Jordan Ennis over at the assistant development pod. I, I, I really want to buy in on this kid, man. So you wanted to talk about him. Tell me what you love about him. Tell me what you're seeing. Okay. So I got a quick story about Meyer first, so I can set the, set the whole mood. Set the tone. So two years ago, I go and I'm watching in in uh, Waco. I'm seeing uh, Baylor, Arizona. Really pumped to watch the game. Um, I was there to just watch, you know, Jared Butler. I was fascinated to see Arizona had some guys. I'm blanking off the top of my head, but in, in subs, this guy, this tall white kid, Matthew Meyer. And I'm like, okay, I, like, let's see what this sophomore's got. I have never seen someone have a greener light in their head than Matthew Meyer. I mean, it was like, I don't care how covered I am. Every shot I can possibly take is a good shot in my head. And I just laughed because I was like, oh man, this guy will pull up from literally anywhere. Now, I was a little harsh because that was just my first ever real in-person view of him. And I was kind of like, no, I do not want any part of that. But then you get watching a little more and the shooting strokes. Nice. I definitely need him to be a little bit more intelligent with the shot selection, but I do think everything's lining up. Like he's going to have to carry the load for Baylor this year. I understand it. He's going to get a lot of minutes. I'm intrigued with a lot of people. I think a lot of people are really high on him. There's a lot of buzz building that he could explode this year. I get it. I actually was intrigued when I watched him again before this. He's a little intriguing as a uh, off the bounce. He's got some a good he's feel for the game. Yeah, he's got he's a lot quicker than you think because you know he's six nine, two twenty five. He's a big boy for a forward. No, he, and yeah, he's bouncy. He too. He, yes. he can get up there. He can finish and at the basket over people. He's got he's a really good feel like off the dribble. He he kind of knows he can finish around the rim. There's just like, I need him to, the game needs to slow down this year for him. And he needs to, you know, not get out of control with some drives. There's just the little things he's got to tighten up a little bit. And he's going to have a, like a long leash because you, like you said, 
they're already dealing with an injury and now he's going to even have a bigger responsibility. The defense is very intriguing because he's got really quick hands and a lot quicker than you think yep. um, laterally. But he also can gamble and he could afford to gamble last year because he had Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, and that whole entire squad behind him. So now this listen, year it's man, like, listen, man, you know who he does have behind him still? Jonathan Chamwachacho, baby. That's that's my guy. That is my guy. If you haven't told, Nathan's buying a lot of stock in Baylor this year. I, I I bought a lot of stock in Baylor last year. I mean that that's that that's my boy. That was that was Jared Butler. That was for for Corey and Albert. That was their guy off night. Oh no, yeah, Macy Oteague. I thought Macy Oteague deserved to be drafted. I think you still have. I loved the team guys. last year. Yes, um, I I loved everyone they had last year. I thought the roster. I. I was not surprised by the result of the national championship. I will say that, but getting back to Meyer, I'm intrigued. I just need the smarter decision-making, you know, like you say, as a passer, he can get a little out of control off the move when he's trying to make passes for teammates. He just needs the game to slow down a little bit, make some smarter decisions. Cause if, the if shot's coach, really nice. If coach can get him to cut down like three of those shots a game where he's like, mm-hmm. shooting with, like 20 seconds left in the shot clock. I think it'll be a massive win for everybody. Involved. Yes. And that's the type of shots I'm talking about is exactly what you're saying. It's one of the, it's funny, but he's one of those guys that makes one play a game where I'm like, what? Like, what were you, what were you doing there? And if he could get rid of that. And oh, Shaq, Shaq a, did a full candidate. Yes. In his career. Oh. Absolutely. Without a doubt. But he does a lot of really good stuff too. So he's yeah. going to be one of these fun prospects where it's like, okay, you're going to have, pretty much the perfect you know dinner plate of you having a potential big year now can you deliver and show everyone that you're going to take calling, the next I'm step forward shot. I'm, I'm being no Stradamus Nate for a second I think he goes top 20 I really do I think so, wow. somebody, somebody's buy in. somebody some team is going to buy in and be like look every single year we're looking for these six eight six nine guys who can shoot the lights out of the rock let's bring them in Let's see if we can rein him in for like 18 to 22 minutes a game and let's just unleash the flamethrower every yeah. single game for, for a set amount of time. Even if at some point he starts for a team, maybe he closes, maybe like in between he's not playing as many minutes. So maybe he's like a heavy start, heavy finish type of guy where he ends up playing like 18 to 22 minutes per game in like his first two years. And he's able to do damage while he's out there because he's reined in, because he's playing with other vets who are looking at him like, we trust you. We'll give you the ball, but in the right moments, in the right situations. And if he buys into something like that, I could see his efficiency and his his averages spiking. Mm-hmm. Like his per thirty six numbers at some point within like his first two years could be like absolute bonkers for like a stretch of time where we look back and we're like, all right, I guess this guy did deserve to go top twenty or top twenty five or whatever the case may be. I, I you know what, me personally. If he could show me more on defense on a consistent level, like I'll be watching him defensively this year because I think everyone knows he's a shooter, but if he can provide some versatility defensively, people are going to be way more intrigued with that like NBA teams because they're going to be like, Hey, we know he can space the floor, like check the box because he's got a nice shot. It's solid. It's fluid. You know, you can tell that he can be a threat. But if he can provide some consistent value as a defensive asset, 
I mean, no disrespect to Duncan Robinson, but when he was in the G League, I watched Duncan Robinson, and I was like, this guy is a flamethrower offensively. If he could just find somewhere where they could kind of like deal with him as a defensive guy, he's going to be in the league. And if Mayer can, is it Meyer or Mayer? It's Meyer. It's Meyer. Why do I, I, John Mayer is just jumping at me right now, <laughs> but Meyer, um, you know, and I know it's Meyer because I heard Fran Fraschilla talk about him enough. Every time that guy had a Baylor game, he's like, Matt, Matthew Meyer is going to find himself on an NBA team. And I'm like, well, I need everyone to give me a little bit of a break because I, you start hearing these guys' names like 13 times a night when you're watching the games, and then it just sticks. But, you know, we're preseason right now. I, I'm reading them like, okay, I, I haven't heard it like, enough. He's like Fran's most, bas- most favorite <laughs> basketball player of all time. But, but I'm telling – like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if he can cons- consistently be a defensive asset, just – he doesn't need to be elite. He just could be a guy that they're like, hey, he's going to be fine a- alongside some of our veterans. Yeah. There's going to be some teams like you're saying drooling over a six nine forward that can shoot the rock. Like it's Absolutely. just how it works. That's how a uh, history in the draft, you know. So last but not least, I had to include this guy in terms of prospects we were talking about tonight because he was one of my favorite prospects last year. When I say the word favorite, just guys who I love to watch, guys who I would project to be able to do damage in the NBA. I don't think he's ever going to be a star, but listen, I'm going to die on this kid's island. For better or worse, I don't care about the outcome. This is one of my guys, Terrence Shannon Jr. Mm -hmm. out of Texas Tech. Almost 13 points per game last year, four rebounds, 45% from the field, 36 from three, 76 from the free throw line. Shooting splits are not terrible like the raw percentages, 21 PER, 55 and a half true shooting percentage, 74 percentile in terms of total offense, 76 percentile in terms of total defense, which is really where he shines on a basketball court, 82nd percentile on cuts, 75th percentile handling the ball, scoring out of pick and roll, 96th percentile on post-ups, really intriguing wrinkle to his game. He loved posting up smaller guys at Texas Tech and taking advantage of those matchups. But it's where you get to the efficiencies essentially everywhere outside of the paint. 30th percentile on jumpers, 31st percentile on catch and shoot looks, 37th percentile on jumpers off the dribble. So really, you've watched his jump shot on tape. The mechanics are not pretty. It doesn't look good coming out, coming off his hands. He doesn't finish particularly well on those jump shots, but he's an athletic freak on the wing. He has excellent physical tools, great quickness and lateral mobility. His motor and his toughness bring a whole package together that just screams he's going to be one hell of a defensive presence in the NBA if he gets enough minutes. He hounds matchups one-on-one and at times really does overwhelm them. Technically sound defender. He moves his hips and his feet well to play opponents in a box and keep them from constantly penetrating inside. Good timing, contested jump shots. He's capable and comfortable helping around the basket as well. I have zero questions about his defensive makeup and mindset, but here's, here's where we get to the negative. Here's why I don't know this, but here's why I think he came back to school. I didn't talk to any NBA scouts or personnel last year about Shannon. I had questions about other guys that I wanted to talk to people about, but I just get the feeling that there's a lot of hesitancy here because there's this low end 
Justin Anderson comparison that has to be out there. I didn't really hear that come up a lot in public conversation, but that's what I feel like is out there. I, I get it. I get it. Anderson never brought enough offense to the table to justify playing time. And if Shannon doesn't improve the jumper, scouts will look at him in the same way and they aren't going to view him as a first rounder. I think he is a first rounder. Not saying he's going to go like late lottery or top 20, but I think that when you get in like that 21 to 30 range, I do buy enough of the offense. I buy all the defense. I buy everything related to his physical tools, his ability to finish in transition and being a vertical spacer, a lob threat at his size in the wing. I buy all of that. And that's why I would take him as like a late first round guy. And I think that's the same conclusion I'm going to come to this year. I don't, if he does improve the jump shot, if he is shooting closer to like 38, 39% from three point range, if he's not abysmal taking shots off the bounce, if he is, one of Texas Tech's more reliable offensive options this year, then I think that stock will go up. I think a lot more people will see the light on him. I just think there's enough scouts that probably told his representation that this is what we're thinking about him, and that's why he went back to school. He didn't enter the draft last year. I was I was a little surprised initially when he didn't enter the draft, but when I sat down and thought about why, it made more sense to me. Where are you at, Tyler, on Terrence Shannon? You and I haven't really talked about him personally, so I'm curious to get your thoughts. Are you joining me on the island? Do you have one foot on the island, one foot off the island? Are you completely off the island? Where are you at on him? Oh, I'm on the island. For sure on the island. Thank God. Um, Thank God. One of those... No, yeah, it's... I'm like you. So I just... I always have a weak spot for guys that can defend because I just... I love it because I think a lot of it's desire and heart and you just put the, the effort in and Obviously, he's got the tools to be a really, really good defender. He's very explosive, very quick. He's got good size. He's not afraid to get right up in someone's face. He's just pretty much the definition of a slasher because he can get the ball on the wing, and if he gets one dribble on you, and he can explode and throw down. I mean, he's one of those guys that's just like, I'm attacking with bad intentions. The thing... He's one of these guys that, the like you just hinted about, I was a little surprised when he decided to stay in at Texas Tech another year, but the moment that announcement came out, I just was like, circle. Like, okay, Terrence Shannon, I'm going to be watching him very closely next year. I just think there's potential for him to take a really nice leap forward, and it's all going to come on the offensive side. And it's going to, he just needs to be more consistent with showing that he's, like developing as an offensive threat, you know, even because like, I think I wrote down. Yeah. So he jumped from 25% to 35% from three in one year. I mean, I'm not asking him to jump all the way to 45%, but if he could get almost above 40%, then we're talking about a completely different type of player because right now he's a little one dimensional. You have a athletic slasher that is, Really you good can defensively. Take him out of games offensively. Yes, hundred percent. Just have somebody just face guard the hell out of him if they have any semblance of size and strength to them, and they just sit there and face guard him. You can take him out of a game. Now, do you want to exhaust a resource like that on Terrence Shannon? Probably not. Which mm-hmm. is a good reason as to how he can impact the game offensively, because chances are teams aren't going to prioritize defending him and he's going to be able to get around his man as you said on like a cut or a drive to the basket he's going to be able to do damage around the rim 
but teams can also just sort of play off of him and dare him to attack and try to do some of those things. And he's going to crash into defenders and paint, or they're going to dare him to shoot the basketball. And that's why he needs to become more of a threat to shoot the basketball because then he does warrant having one of those better defenders on like, let's say the team has to all of a sudden throw like their, their second or third best defender on like Terrence Shannon. If Terrence Shannon's playing with two other really good guys on offense, that opens something up for somebody else. So like, that's, that's really the meat and potatoes as to why he has to get better at shooting the basketball. It's not just for his personal benefit, but it's for the benefit of everyone else around him when he gets to that next level. Yeah. And I think, we just saw, you know, one guy that just came to my mind. I'm not putting him exactly in Terrence Shannon's, you know, category, but in the last draft class, you know, Herb Jones was kind of a similar type of yep. like didn't have an outside shot, but the difference with Herb Jones was he was a guy that could play make with the ball in his hands. He could make yep. an impact in so many other levels and he went, you know, middle of the second round. So Shannon's gonna have. And by to the take way, as, as, I think he's already been talked about by Zach Lowe as like one of the more intriguing rookies. In the oh, league, which is crazy. I loved Herb Jones because it was like, okay, he can't shoot from outside, but he could fill it up with assists. He can run your offense. Like he was like one of those Swiss Army knives at Alabama that Tenacious I was like defender as well. Yes. So the problem with Shannon that's different is he's more of like a we know what he is offensively. He's not going to be a guy they're going to say, hey, run the offense. They're going to be a guy that's like, hey, we need you to attack the basket. We need you to f- finish around the rim. Can he add another wrinkle? And that wrinkle needs to be like, can he space the floor? Can he just res- be a respectable guy from outside? Because we know how good of a defender he can be. And if he can take that step as an outside shooter, then he could become an intriguing asset for like a rotation spot for some team maybe – early second round, maybe late first round. I don't know. But I'm like you. I'm a fan. I think there's potential and upside for him to unlock another level of his game and all of a sudden become a little bit more of a complete player. I just, it's just going to come down to the shot and I need a little bit more of a jump. So I'm a fan because the athleticism and the defensive tools are freakish. And I want to believe that he's going to have a big year for Texas Tech. I, I put him in the same boat last year. I can't remember the fourth guy that I talked about on the podcast, but I put him in the same boat with Herb Jones specifically, with Aaron Henry as like the those bubble-type wing prospects who they all had their deficiencies somewhere. But who are you going to bet on at the end of the day out of that group to really come out and be an impact player in the NBA? I think Herb Jones was probably second for me, and I was actually the biggest fan of Shannon out of that game. Mm-hmm. I, I still I still believe in Shannon wholeheartedly. To Herb Jones's credit, he's already making a name for himself a little bit when he's got an opportunity in, in summer league for, for the Pelicans, and I think eventually the Pelicans are going to need him because that team is just so abysmal on the defensive end of the floor like they, they just have to play Herb Jones. they're going have to they're going to have to live with some of the mistakes he makes offensively mm-hmm. when he actually has to to score or, or make something happen for himself but to yeah they, you can run offense to Herb Jones you can have him play make it if, if Shannon can just do something else on an NBA court offensively other than just an open cut or, or an open run to the basket then yeah it, it changes the game for his draft stock I think that he would be firmly in like a top 25 type of conversation in the draft Definitely. probably not Probably not cracking the lottery or anything crazy like that, but like back end of the first round, like 
why wouldn't you want to take a flyer uh, on somebody like him? Well, and, you know, when we're talking about the end of the first round, that's playoff teams. That's like, you know, let's just throw out, for example, what if the Brooklyn Nets were like, hey, we could get an unbelievable defender to come in at the end of the games and we don't need him to score. We just need him to go shut someone down while KD and Harden are, you know, getting buckets. Like, I'm not saying he's going to, be in at the end of the game. There's but... nothing more dangerous in the NBA than really good playoff teams who are smart and they keep their draft picks and they use them properly at the end of the first round. Preach. We've seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. And Brooklyn took a number of guys that I believe you and I both like in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, a team like that can be primed to do the same thing in 2022. I agree. Yeah, it's and I think if Shannon could show he's taking a step this year an NBA team could be like, hey, that is a project we want to invest in. We want to slowly bring him along, you know, let him have some confidence in summer league. Maybe he spends some time in the G League and works on his craft as an outside shooter. You know, maybe he becomes this guy that's like respectable floor spacer, but we want him on the floor for elite defense. You know, there's a path there. He just needs to show that the shot is coming along this year. And like you said, the mechanics are a little bit you know, all over the place. I'm a big believer that when guys return, they know that and they're going to be working yeah. on it the entire off season or summer, whatever you want to say. So let's see what he's got. He's going to have um, all the chances he wants at Texas Tech basically this year to showcase. And I'm going to be watching him closely. I'm really excited to watch him. I, I was excited the moment he said he's going back. I was like, all right, I'm believing in the big jump. Let's Let's take a leap forward. Let's Let's become a little bit of a sleeper prospect next year. So I'm like you. I'm a fan. I'm, I'm on the island. Well, that, that's going to wrap it up for top returning guys that we're talking about this week. If you're upset because I left your favorite returning guy off the list, like if you're a Keegan Murray guy or you're a Caleb Love guy, like first of all, I said, I said words about Caleb Love in, in the ACC conference preview piece up on the No Ceiling Substack. So if you do care about Caleb Love, go read what I said over on that piece. But Trust me, my my database, I still have to put the final touches, the final bow on my database that I'll be tracking this year, but we'll be we'll be north of three hundred guys. I'm not I'm not worried about guys who I may or may not get to. The, some at some point I will talk about your guy in this podcast this year. That is that is guaranteed. That's why we're draft people. We're here for a reason. But that's going to do it for the prospect portion of the podcast. Tyler, before you go, I know I'm gonna technically put you on the spot a little bit. But no ceilings was sort of your brainchild. So yes. I want you to just tell the audience really quick a little bit about the collaboration that we've all come together to do. What makes us special and unique and why should they go subscribe to the Substack? So I basically had this idea this offseason. You know, I've been doing draft content, draft analysis on my own at Backcourt Violation. And I've kind of just had an eye and paid attention to a lot of the talented, you know, analysts, evaluators out there. And I was like, Hey, let, let's make a serious run at creating a team. So I've reached out to a lot of draft analysts out there and ones that I was hoping would be up for the idea of joining this brand together, together, creating it. And everyone has been fantastic. I it's, turned out to be bigger than I even dreamed of. And I cannot wait for this upcoming year. It's going to be at no ceilings MBA on social media. And 
you know, like Nathan said before, our sub stack's going to be fantastic. So make sure you guys sign up for that. But I could not be more excited this year with the amount of people and talent we have on this roster. It's there's some special stuff brewing and on the horizon. So can't wait. It's going to be it's, fun. It's called no ceilings for a reason, because there is quite literally no ceiling, no limit as to the type of content and the amount of content that we're going to be putting out this year. I think Kyle and I are definitely in agreement on that one. It was just, it was the perfect name. Shout out to Albert. Albert's the one who came up with the name. We will give yes. all, all the credit in the world for finally locking something down. I'm not creative. I, I've been given so many compliments on coming up with Draft Deeper in the first place because it kind of is a creative name. <laughs> I, it took me so long to come up with that though. And Albert literally wrote out like three tweets in our group chat and then he came to no ceilings and i was just like you're a genius man like yeah out of all people albert i was like what not the two most creative guys on the team but it was albert now we're just, we're just messing with you, albert you're no but albert. it's great everyone's got a little bit of different taste that they're gonna bring to the puzzle this year and it's it's just gonna be awesome i'm, I'm pumped about it absolutely so subscribe go read the sub stack we'll have content all year long, far and beyond. This is a pet project that we're all very passionate about. Subscribe to every podcast on the No Ceilings Podcast Network. Linktree will have all of the links to that. Pretty much anytime we're sharing our podcast, we're going to use that Linktree to make sure that you're not just subscribed to one podcast, you're subscribed to all the podcasts. And we will have a No Ceilings Podcast feed eventually as well. We'll get the YouTube channel up and running with video mm -hmm. content from all of our podcasts. We'll probably do some extra video work on the side as well for pieces that we're confident about. But this is going to be a big year. This is, this is why we're doing this. You don't succeed in this industry unless you're on a team. And it was the perfect time for a lot of people who have tried their hand at doing this individually to come together and try to do something fantastic. So I'm excited. I know Tyler's excited. Everybody else is exuberant about the opportunity. So go subscribe. If you aren't subscribed to this show, Find it on that link tree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash no ceilings NBA. You can find me, Draft Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Follow the no ceilings Twitter account at no ceilings NBA. We've already given ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back. We're already getting a little bit of a following. It's crazy. I think we have more followers on no ceilings in the first like two days than I think I did through the first like three months that Draft Deeper was on Twitter. <laughs> but, but, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, showing your support. Have a wonderful rest of your week.